name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Today's gospel is about someone who I struggle to like, maybe because I see a lot of myself in him, right? There's some, this is a personality that I think we, many of us resemble and might not realize that we resemble. And I'm going to get into to why in a second, but before we do that, I want us to review the concept of of sin again. I know we've done it lots of times, but there's the Arabic expression that repetition teaches the, the smart ones, but I don't, it doesn't rhyme in English. Um, <laughs> but sin um, in the Orthodox concept is not about legalism, right? Sin is not about, here's a list of things that thou shalt not do as though these are the, the things that make you intrinsically evil. Right? Sins are the things that go against the design of something. Right? It's, it's, it's falling short of, per, of perfection. Right? In Greek, it's amartheia, right? which means to fall short. Okay? So when we were designed, we were designed in a particular way. We were designed for perfection. We were designed for holiness. Right? We were designed to be identical to God. He gave us, if you will, his, his DNA. Right? So he made us in a certain way. And so we function properly when we function according to that design. When we stray from that design, we end up having negative consequences. Not because there's an angry God who's like, ha, 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 you did wrong, I'm going to scream and yell at you, right? But simply because wrong results in wrong. It's, it's actually really that simple, right? So we've used a bunch of exam analogies before, so we'll use some of them again, right? Said that a microphone is designed, right, with one purpose, which is to amplify sound. Right? If I take gum and I shove it on the microphone, I can call it a gum holder, right? I can advertise it as a gum holder, I can convince people to use it as a gum holder, and maybe they will, right? And if I'm very persuasive, I might even start a, a social trend, right? But at the end of the day, underneath the gum, underneath all of it, remains a microphone, and its job is to amplify sound. So even if I've used it in a wrong way, it continues to be what it was, right? I was in the image and likeness of God, I can treat myself in any way that I want, but that's what I was still designed to be. And if I put gum on it, right, it no longer functions properly, right? So I might be trying to get noise out of it and I'm not able to, right? And I might be confused as to why I'm not, but it's because I'm using it incorrectly. So this gum, the analogy is like, is like sin, right? Or if we look at a, at a car, right, if I put cheap gas in a premium car, the car will function, right? It just might not function as well. And over time, I might cause damage. If I shove a pen, as we've said so many times in the uh, auxiliary place, I'm going to damage the pen. I might not get proper sound out of it. Or I might hear scratches when I'm doing it. Something funky is going to be going on with the car. Right? Coming from Canada, right? if I scratch my car, it's going to rust. Right? Because we have snow and we have rain. We have all sorts of things. So when I do something against the nature of that thing, against the design of that thing, it results in a wrong, right? And the wrong has been warned, right? There's a manual in that front seat, right? That says this is what you do to this car, right? This is how you maintain it. This is what you do to it. If you don't do these things, that's up to you, but you can void your warranty, right? But thankfully with God, there's no voiding of, of, of warranties. But the idea, again, is to say that this is not about something being intrinsically horrible in the car or in the person or in any of these things. It's to say that when I do these wrong things, 
there is a consequence. This is true of our bodies, right? If somebody were to, to shove a, like, I don't know, a pen into their, their jugular, there's going to be serious consequences, right? If a person were to, like, get a paper cut, if a person does anything, there's varying severity of what the consequence is depending on what I did, but there is a consequence, right? The things that I do cause damage. Sometimes I can heal easily, sometimes I can't. And the reason for all this background is because sin is anti-love, right? Sin is the, the antithesis of God. God is love, and love means self-denial, right? When I love something, it means that I have the option to do something, right? I have the ability to do something, but I choose this thing, whether it's a person or a concept or an idea or whatever it is, over all the other options that I have, including myself, right? When a person marries another person, right, they're saying, I choose you, right, which is an act of love, and in doing so, I have also actively not chosen right, like three billion other people that I could have chosen, right? That's an, that's an active choice. It's a self-denial. And it's saying I'm going to restrict myself now, right, to only you and this person, right? The same is true with our kids, with our friendships, with our relationships. Any choice that we do shows what we value. It shows what we love. And these choices have consequences, right, on yourself or on the other person, sometimes good, sometimes bad, depending on what they were. And so I'm giving all this to say that here's a man, right, who did something wrong, right? We look at the gospel of today versus next week. Our Lord doesn't go around ever telling people, you're a sinner, you're horrible, right? There's not a single story in the Bible, right, where he ever met somebody who really was a sinner and, and, and horrible and said that to them. The only people God ever tells off actually in the gospels are the Pharisees for being so full of themselves, Right? But there's not a single encounter with a sinner right, who's aware of their sin that, that Christ told off. Right? He, was, he was kind to them. But we see in this story that the man did do something. Right? God didn't say anything to him when he first met him. He didn't bring attention to it. We only find that out at the end. And I'm saying this because next week is the opposite. Right? Next week they, they assume about the man born blind that he must have done something. And Christ is like, no, not in this case. This isn't it. So here we have a man who's in an infirmity for 38 years, paralyzed, and the Lord sees the faith of the general people around, not of that man, right? Like it doesn't say, and he looked on him and saw his faith, which it does say with other people, right? It says that about the Samaritan, right, who, who speaks about the crumbs at his feet. It says it about the centurion. In this case, he does not point out the faith of the man. It says that he looked around and saw the faith of the people who were in this area, and he decided to have mercy, right? That whole pool was an act of mercy, right? The pool was almost as if a sign of the presence of God among them because they felt forsaken. That every single year an angel would come and stir the water, never came in was healed. It was like a sign of, yeah, I, I really exist, I'm really around. We haven't been talking much, um, but I'm here. And the Lord looks on this person and says, do you want to be well? And the Lord doesn't work with people if they don't want to be worked with, right? That's like a simple rule for, for God. He will never force His grace on anybody, right? Grace is a, is a two-way thing. So there's a father who's happy to give his kids gifts, but his kids have the right to refuse the gifts. So it's never that the dad 
never wants to give or the parents don't want to give is that the child has the opportunity to reject anything that they want. That's why the fathers say the fountain of grace is, is ever flowing, right? But you can, you can block a fountain, right? So the water hasn't ceased to flow even underneath your blockage, but you can block your own access to it if you want. So the Lord asks him, do you want to be well? He doesn't say, why are you in your situation? He already knows, right? He says, do you want to be made well? And the guy's response is, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool. Right? That's not even an answer to the question. Right? Like his question is, do you want to? And his answer is, no one comes to help me. Other people rush. Other people come before me. And now I can't get well. Right? His, he is, and this is why I have trouble liking him because I am like this. Right? Is, he is someone who does not want to take responsibility for his actions. Right? He is somebody who doesn't self-accuse. He blames other people. Right? His first instinct is to say, that the reason for his predicament is someone else, right? It can't be him, right? It has to be um, someone else. And our Lord doesn't even argue, right? Our Lord is, is really nice, right? He doesn't even say, like, did I ask you, right? Like, was that my question? He doesn't put him in his place. He just says, no problem. Get up, right? Arise, take up your bed, take up your mat, and just walk, right? He doesn't have this long discussion with him, about how he should have done this or he should have done that or like this is the one time I'm going to help you but right like there is no there is no lecture there is nothing he, he very willfully and happily lets him go and it happens to be on the Sabbath which we're going to run into shortly with the Pharisees um, and so the Jews are obviously very upset right because how dare someone break our law right which we're also like um, and so it doesn't matter that something good has happened it's how could it be that it happened in this way? Something is wrong. And the guy doesn't defend Christ, right? Like, he doesn't, like, rejoice in the fact that he's made well. He's still self-serving. And it's a really nice contrast to look at the man born blind next week who, like, has this defense of the faith for a man he doesn't know anything about, right? With the Pharisees, when they attack him, he's quick to say how good the Lord is, right? Whereas this guy's like, I have nothing to do with it. Right? I just got well, some guy said, take your bed and walk, and I'm walking. Right? So like, it's like, don't blame me, don't yell at me, right? go yell at someone else. Not even like a sense of gratitude right? that something good happened, right? or being like, you know, go easy on the guy, he just did a good thing. Nothing, right? even in a selfish way. And so they say, who is it? And the man doesn't even know. Right? Like, he didn't even, after the miracle, say, like, thank you, who are you? Right? How is it that you did this? Right? Clearly he didn't because when they ask him who is it, he goes, I don't know. Right? Some guy. Right? Some guy came and said, get up and, and walk. Which shows how even in the miracle, how self-centered right, that this person um, is. Um, and Jesus had withdrawn himself because Jesus is the opposite. Jesus didn't like having excessive wrong attention around him, right? So Jesus went and hid himself in the crowds. We see this a lot in the, the life of our Lord. Very often you'll see that a short verse where it says, and the Lord retreated himself into the mountain to pray. And the Lord took himself into a garden to pray, right? He wasn't looking to constantly be surrounded um, by people. So then later on, our Lord finds him, 
right? Again, it's the Lord outreaching, right? This guy could have went and found out Jesus and said, hey, by the way, I have this situation. They're kind of upset with you, right? Like, may, you even even rebuke the Lord if you want, right? And be like, you shouldn't have done that. Anything, right? But there's there's zero. And the Lord goes to him and says, listen, man, okay? You've been made well, all right? You've been made well, um, but sin no more so that nothing worse may happen to you, right? This isn't a threat, right, from, from Christ. He's not like, listen, you didn't, like, have my back, and now I'm telling you, like, one more problem, and I'm going to do this. He's saying it in the sense of sin, okay, being the consequence, right, of that when I damage myself, something wrong happens. This is why he's saying it to him. So here he's saying gently, you know, you weren't actually entitled, Right to this miracle, right, and he doesn't say that to him. But that's the truth of the matter. It isn't your right, okay? You did something that caused this, right? And I'm I'm okay with that. I'm fixing it, right? But if you don't fix what was wrong that was causing this to begin with, right? The fact that you're doing something wrong is why you're in the situation. So if you don't acknowledge or realize that there's a behavior of yours that needs to change, yes, a worse thing will come, because we tend to get very bold when we get away with sin, right? The minute that I'm able to get away with sin, I go, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought, right? The first time that I found out my parents didn't know everything, right, that I was doing, which I previously believed, I was like, this opens new doors, right, of what I can get away with, right? Because I found out that they don't have an acknowledgement. There isn't a bird that flies to their room at night that tells them everything, um, which they told me. Um, <laughs> so people want stuff all the time, okay? We want to be healed, right? We want these gifts. We want prestige. We want success. We want cars. We want whatever it is. Insert the thing that we want here. Sometimes it's even virtue that we want. But we often don't stop and ask, am I doing the thing that matches that desire, right? I remember when I was serving high school in, in Canada, one youth, um, he was like in grade 11 at the time. I don't know what you guys call that here, uh, junior. Um, and I was like, so what do you want to do, right? Because the next year are the applications and stuff like that. And he's like, oh, I've decided I'm going to be like a neurosurgeon. I was like, okay, great. Like, how are you doing in school, right? The person was barely getting 50s and 60s. I'm not ridiculing him, right? But I'm saying, on what basis do you think that this is a real possibility for you, right? Like, what are your study habits like? What are you doing, right? And nothing that this person is doing matches it, but he just has this ambition, right? So it's like, well, it's good to have an ambition, right? But what are you doing, right? Are, are you doing anything at all, right, to match that this is what you want, right? You can't sit there and be like, I've decided, right, that I'm going to be awarded right, like a certificate that allows me to be uh, a lifeguard, right, and just like send an email to someone and say, I, I want to be a lifeguard, can you please send me the permission, right, there's, there's work, right, that has to be done. If I want to be fit, I have to eat properly, right, I have to look at what am I doing, does it match the thing that I want? And sometimes we start trying to do the right thing, but the minute that there's work, we just stop. Right? The minute that there's something that goes against my will or my efforts, I'm like, I've had enough, yeah, and it was a nice run. Right? But the Jesus thing is not working for me. Right? The whatever it is, it's not working for me. But this loop of oscillations is actually very dangerous. 
right? When you go extremely hot and extremely cold, it's very dangerous because the end result is usually cold, right? The end result is that you're like, yeah, yeah, I went hardcore in it and I just didn't feel it and I didn't get it, right? So what's the point? I did that for so long and what was the result? I didn't get X, Y, or Z. And we step back. And so we end up doing worse in our low points, right? Because of this whole getting away with it factor. And this is why our Lord said to him, be careful. Because the worst thing will happen. Because you're not changing the behavior. You're going back and you're just doing whatever. You're more likely than not going to do something even bigger than what you're doing before. And so what we need to learn from this man, because we're all this man, right, is one is that there is a, a consequence to wrong. Our society wants to undo that. And I'm not saying that in this whole hyper, like, how evil the world is, but really, this is what we're taught. What is the instant response that we want when we say that something wrong happened? We want someone to say, it's okay, right? I understand that on some level in terms of comfort, I do, right? But it's not okay that the wrong occurred because the wrong caused damage, right? So yes, I can accept you that you've done damage, right? Yes, we can accept one another that we've done damage, but there's a difference between accepting that damage was done and comforting one another than trying to say that damage is good, right? That damage is all right. No, it's not. Right? Damage causes pain. Right? Damage causes disease. Damage causes problems that come out. So I can't excuse damage and, and act like it's alright. If I say that it's alright that you murdered someone, Ta'ala, come and let me give you a hug. No, someone's dead. Right? You've done that. Right? If you've gossiped about somebody and you slandered them and you've killed someone's reputation, you can't just come and say like, I did that, that's what it is, and then somebody just says, it's okay, right? No, it's, it's not okay. You've done something permanently to somebody, and you owe it to tell the truth now, right? You owe it now to go to that person and say, I have done this thing to you, and I am sorry, right? This is what we do with repentance. So there is a consequence to wrong. Sometimes the wrong is something that I've done. Sometimes someone has done it to me. Sometimes I'm born with it. Sometimes it's societal. It doesn't matter. We all have to take responsibility in some level. The second, as we said, is self-entitlement. No one is entitled to anything. Right? This is a really like serious consequence, especially for our generation, <laughs> to realize. Right? If we look at our giddos and our tetas and the older generation, right, and they tell their stories, they talk about how hard they worked, right, how they walked one mile up and down in the snow with the basket and their books, right, to get to school. And we laugh at these stories, but they're true, right? They did do those things. They worked very, very hard, right? And so they have a concept of hard work. I remember my, my dad and I having, like, arguments when I was working for him as a student where, like, he'd want me to work more. And I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> he was like... I'll pay you. And I'm like, I don't want money. I want to be off, right? And it was a foreign concept to him, like absolutely foreign, right? That me and all of the other people working as techs or pharmacists, whoever from the younger generation, would rather a day off than extra money. It was so foreign to him because ingrained in him was this necessity of hard work, right? Because the hard work is how you're going to earn enough to care for your family, to care for your kids, to make sure that whatever they want, you don't say no to, Right? So that they can have whatever they need, even if he didn't have what he wanted. 
right, for us, right? Whereas our sense was, no, if I want that, I'll take it, but I'm entitled to do whatever I want. Do you feel self-entitled? Do you self, and I don't even just mean materialistically, right? In an argument, whether it's with your spouse or your child or your boss or your coworker or your mother or your friend or whoever it is, do you feel entitled to being right? Do you feel entitled to the other person bowing to you? Do you feel entitled that the other person has to understand your point of view and agree with it? Right? Do you feel entitled that everyone somewhere is supposed to do something for you? Because if it is, you're selfish. Right? Because love is the opposite. Love is that I have the option to give it to you or not, and I'm choosing to give it to you. It's voluntary. That's what makes love deep. Right? Is that I don't have to. It's that I'm choosing to. Right? I don't have to marry you. I don't have to bow down to your will. I don't have to do the thing that you're asking me to do. But I will. Right? The, the I will part is the love part. So if I start demanding people to love me, right? in other words, I'm demanding people to choose me, it means that I think I'm God. Right? Not in, in those obvious words to yourself, but that is what you're thinking. That is what you're doing. You're saying, you owe me this. Right? And that's not the right state to be in. Self-entitlement. And take it a step further with the third thing. Do you blame others? Do you blame everyone and everything for your predicament? Do you sit there and think, well, if only Trump wasn't president, right, I wouldn't have had this problem, right? If only this guy at work hadn't said this, I wouldn't have this problem. You know what? My parents were horrible to me, and as a consequence, I have these issues. Right? And now I can't even socially function anymore. Do you say, like, my kid, if only they had done this thing, I wouldn't have been in this horrible mood. If my wife had only just realized that all I need is this and this and this and this, I wouldn't be in a horrible mood. Right? If my husband would just not think of himself for a moment, maybe I'd be in this. Right? We, we have all sorts of, of circles of blame of why someone or something else is responsible for why I am the way that I am, instead of taking some responsibility for it. Do you have a personality that is always looking to blame one another? Because the virtue is the opposite. The virtue is self-accusation, right? This is a very deep virtue. And self-accusation is not self-hatred, okay? It's not low self-esteem, okay? It's not anything like that. Self-accusation is to say, what am I doing that is contributing to this situation, right? When you're in the middle of an argument, right, do you stop and someone's yelling and screaming? Do you stop mentally and say, what am I doing that is making this person angry, right? Instead of being like, what a horrible person, he's angry. I can't believe he's angry. Do you instead stop and say, I'm doing something. What is it that I'm doing that is making the person in front of me upset? I don't have peace in my home. Right? My wife and I are constantly arguing, my husband and I are constantly arguing. Instead of saying, well, if she realizes that all she needs to do is fix this, we won't be arguing. Right? Instead say, what am I doing? What is it that I am doing that is causing these arguments? Where can I give up my will to bring peace? Because I'm not entitled. Right? What does the person want? Does the person just want a kind word? Give it to her. Right? What's it going to hurt you? Right? To give someone a kind word. Is it that the person just needs 
10 minutes of silence, let them have it. Is that the person needs to be right? Let them have it. Let them be right. Right? What have you lost? Right? By allowing other people to have something. But accuse yourself and say, what is it that I am contributing to this situation? What is it that I am doing that is causing whatever it is? Maybe I don't, the person who's angry and not doing well in school, is it because I chose the wrong career to begin with? Is it because I don't know how to study? Right? Is it that I'm, I'm studying wrong? Instead of saying, no, it's because the teacher gave a harder exam than all previous years. Maybe. Right? That's irrelevant. Because the material is the material. Right? So, are you preparing the way that you should? Find the, the you in the situation, because that's the only way you're ever going to have peace. Because the truth is, you can't control anyone. No one. There's no one or nothing outside of yourself that you can control. You can only control you. So, better for you to look at what am I doing, what is it that I can do, and where am I falling short to, to get this better. Because when we don't get what we want, the, the result is anger, right? Look at self-entitlement of thoughts even in terms of systems. Here we have the, the Jews, not just this man, right, that are looking at it of, I can't believe this guy did a miracle on Saturday, right? And we see elsewhere that the Lord points out the ridiculousness of this, right? Because in saying honor the Sabbath, he didn't give them strict rules. They made the rules, right? So they have their own traditions of what it means to honor the Sabbath, and so in their rule book, they said it's okay if your animal falls in a ditch to let him out, right? That's why later Christ's like, are, are you serious? Right? Like, which of you, like, if your donkey fell, wouldn't save him, and you're angry with me that I healed a human being on the Sabbath, right? But they're not angry that he healed a human being. That's not where their anger is coming from. The anger is, you're defying my system, right? This is what I perceive as right. This is my definition of truth, this is my definition of whatever it is, you have contradicted it, therefore you are wrong, right? Then it even says, he called himself God his father, making himself equal to God and that upset them, right? They didn't stop to say, is that true? They were just angry that it contradicted what they perceive to be the truth. Right? This is what happens to those of us who have all of those vices that we talked about and who don't self-accuse, where all we think of is our rightness and our entitlement. They're looking at Christ and saying, there's no way that it could be that. They don't even know why it couldn't be that. The truth is, it was that. Right? But they didn't see that because they were blinded by their opinions, their thoughts, their emotions, their systems, their what have you. So long as your eyes aren't anyone else, other than either God Himself as the image of holiness, or at yourself for where you fall short of that design of holiness, you will not have peace. Because the world will always be full of evil, because we are always going to make choices that affect other people. But a person can find peace and navigate through it if his eyes are, are on himself. Think about what is sad in your life, think about what is dysfunctional in your life, think about what is wrong. And ask yourself, if you were happier when you didn't have those struggles, and then ask where those struggles came from, right? Was it something that you did that maybe you weren't aware of? And even if it is, the Lord is willing to heal it. He didn't, he didn't refrain from healing this person in spite of him being at fault. But if you want to be healed, 
look at these things, look at the just judge, look at our God and go back to purity, go back to the original design to be freed from these things, that we may see the work of God glorified in us, and glory be to our God forever and ever. Amen.